Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We need now to work double hard to overturn. On the inflation rate and the unemployment rate. It's called the Phillips Curve. The government is too big. It's too intrusive. It restricts what we can do. How does he look within giving the grim data of the day? Government budgets don't work like household budgets. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Well, you know, when the economy is in trouble, everyone seems to start spouting canes. But could the work of canes shed much light on the way out of this particular crisis, which is supply-driven? If we spent our way out of it, which, you know, is what Keynes advocated during the Great Depression, when we just make inflation worse. So this week, is there any advice we can take from John Maynard Keynes that would help us to understand the way forward? Because right now, well, monetary policy doesn't seem to be working. It's just making us poorer while inflation keeps rising. That's this week on the Debunking Economics podcast. So, Steve, I mean, this is it is these times are obviously very different to, to the Great Depression and, and what Greg, uh, Keynes wrote about. Uh, but in a way, you know, it's a bit of an artificial situation, wasn't it? The Great Depression in that, you know, the economy was shrinking, but people were still there. People were still able to work. You know, there was nothing to stop people going to work apart from the way economics works. Mm. Uh, so you could say, well, OK, if we understand how economics works. Maybe we can fix that because it's all an artificial construct. Mm -hmm. This has been a little bit different, hasn't it? Because we had a pandemic, which was not an artificial construct. People were really getting ill. People were not able to get to work. Still the case, by the way. You know, there's, I mean, almost certainly there are, uh, you know, I think it's being recognized now, perhaps slowly, that part of the reason we're seeing a slower recovery than anticipated is because... Mm -hmm. There's not as many people working, and some of that is because people have got uh, long COVID. Yeah, people are take, taking more time off because of COVID. Mm. Some people have retired early because they don't want to get COVID. Yeah, uh, so we we have an elongated effect from that, and that is that is a real thing rather than you know if we look at the Great Depression. I mean, there's no reason why the Great Depression should have happened. Is there because it, because it was a, it it was an artificial situation. People could still work. It was work. driven by the finance sector. Yeah. Right? And this is the thing that there was, you know, it was almost all uh, economic crises have been caused by finance. Uh, that's where Richard Bagg's work is really worthwhile. Which you'll get Richard on the show one day too. Mm, yeah. Uh, but Richard uh, did the historical research, got his team at the debt, uh, the debt economics project to go back and look over the last one and a half centuries. Uh, they found about 150, as it happens, crises uh, in major economies over that 150-year period, and every last one of them was caused by the finance sector. Mm. I tell you, this is the sort of bubble that Minsky talks about. So you get euphoric expectations, people borrow too much money, uh, a boom occurs, the bust comes along because the expectations aren't realised, 
Uh, people have to forget, remain insolvent of everything else. They stop investing. They sack workers. You fall into a slump. And the Great Depression was an extreme version of that because, as Fisher explained, and we'll talk about Fisher mm. pretty soon too, uh, he this wonderful phrase he called, which I call Fisher's paradox. And he actually, the actual quote is, the more debtors pay, the more they owe. So what you have is because prices are falling in the deflation of the Great Depression uh, and you're trying to pay your debts off, you're reducing the money supply and therefore the when, when you pay the debt down, you, you owe less money, but the real value of the money has risen in the process and you end up owing more money because the deflation is making the existing yeah. worth more. So that's what caused the Great Depression. This COVID, and you're out of the, we're not out of the blue. Again, you can tie it back to the, the, the excessive scale of human population on this planet. That's mm. where it actually caused it from. But it is what economists would classically call an exogenous shock. Yeah. Okay? So bang, that comes along. And, you know, we, we then have a, 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 a dramatic period of trying to work out what the hell to do. We do a lot of things badly. But one thing most countries did was pump money into in ordinary people's bank accounts rather than sending it to the finance sector. And then when you do that, people spend. Okay. If you're a working class person, you're living paycheck to paycheck. In some American cases, the amount of money they got through this was more than their wage. Mm. Um, so there was more, and you spend, therefore, more than your wage, and you get a boom. And you take a look at the, uh, the, the St. Louis Fred database. is a great database for people to look at economic data in general. But when you do their charts by default, every chart comes with gray bars, which indicate the beginning and ending of each of the recessions in the database. And from 1945 through to 2022, the shortest recession of the lot was the COVID recession. It barely even turns up. Right. The reason is the government spending was so enormous it terminated. But it's that. not over yet, though, is it? That's oh, the, the thing. I mean, we're in stage two, and also we, you know, we're we're living the consequences, obviously, of that of that government money as well. You know, the the delayed effect of the being so much of it yeah. and the impact that's having on the economy. So what would so? But Keynes was. I mean, he had quite a bit to say about price and inflation, didn't he? And that mm, was. Mm. And uh, so I'm wondering what his take on would be on. On where we are now, because we've because we, the the thing about obviously if if you see less because we've got a supply shortage mm. and so that's pushing prices up, mm. which is what's really creating inflation right now, isn't it? Mm. It's the fact that there's a well, too too much demand than, for so too it, few it, goods. The, the, I think one of the best ways to think about inflation is to use Koleski's pricing equation. We talked about Koleski a previous podcast and how he had this cyclical vision of prices, mm. and part of what he built was a a pricing equation that Levy family still uses for its investment uh, uh, direction. So they said, if you look at the rate of change of price, if you look at the price level, it's going to reflect the markup that that uh, that firms put on their input costs, yeah. multiplied by the input costs in nominal terms, divided by the productivity of those costs. So you get uh, a markup, uh, the wage level, and uh, the per unit output of workers. Now, look at the wage level. That that's it, it, the change of the wage level is actually a negative contribution to inflation right now. Okay, 
the positive because it's not keeping up with inflation. Workers are falling behind. No. Wages are rising. But, uh, but other input costs are going up. Well, other input costs are going up. But that that turns up on the productivity factor. Right. Okay? So the productivity factor is declining. You're getting less productivity. That's driving up your costs. Yeah. Okay? And that can come at a whole lot of reasons. It's you know goods take longer to arrive. Demarage costs rise because of it. Uh, there aren't as many workers. You were saying so you can't get things done as quickly. Yeah. Factory costs rise. Yeah. Nothing you can do and about actually, that. Actually, even just demand being less, then yeah. your your cost of each individual unit is going to be more expensive, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's because you're actually spending. This because costs fall without rising output; they'll rise with falling output. Yeah. So your costs rise for that reason as well. But mm. the factor which has been most positive in this uh, inflation is the increase in markups. Yes. Okay, and that's that's the, the when they can get away with it. They can get away with it, and one yeah. reason they can get away with it is a huge amount of demand. Yeah. So like normally, if you're you imagine if you've got a, a firms competing with each other for a marketplace, they're going to compete in qualitative reasons. So you, the, the road the road microphone will compete with the shore microphone for qualitative features rather than necessarily cost. Hmm. Not all the time, but that's sort of so. Most of the competition we see is actually quality. Competition, not if you're going for quality. By the way, again, huh? if you're going for quality, you get a Neumann. But anyway, yeah, okay, okay, to the side. Okay. Yeah, but, but, but <laughs> they don't fight over price; they fight over features. Okay? Yeah. Now, when you have, uh, and they, they keep an eye on demand. They can't afford to make a markup, which is going to drive them out of the market segment they're in. But when you have the huge boom we've had with funny, with a huge amount of government money being created, then there's an encouragement to put up your markup. Increase your markups. So the main cause of inflation have been in this period has not been workers' wages. It's the increasing cost of production from the whole supply chain effect of COVID and, and everything else coming along with it. Uh, but it's also an increase in markup by manufacturers because the demand is there. So you do want to reduce that. Mm. Okay, but yeah. why, if that's the case, yeah. Uh, and yeah, well, how do you reduce it? You, you just tax them more, do you, or what's the? Yeah, you would, but of course, we've had an anti anti taxing anti um, you know trickle down, as I prefer, and as a trickle down economics. Right, but we seem to be slowly getting there. I mean, even more and more governments are talking about more windfall, so maybe that'll just become more yeah, common yeah. in more but areas. You, but what, but what I don't understand is, and and you know, maybe we can turn to Keynes on this yeah. as well, is where. Uh, why aren't wages keeping up? So, because if, if you because th- because we've crushed the bargaining power of workers. Right. The last forty years. I mean, if you go back forty years ago, and I, I was involved with the um, Australian uh, trade union movement at the time in various ways. I wasn't actually employed, but I worked with uh, people like Ted Wilshire and and a few others, and I knew Laurie Carmichael, who was the actually was Communist Party secretary of the Communist Party of Australia. Uh, at the time, and also, I think, the Secretary of the Australian Metal Workers Union. And Laurie and co. were euphoric in the 71-72 period with huge demand for workers, huge wage uh, wage rises of up to 17% in one, one bargain. They were absolutely euphoric about it. And then Laurie said, you all got eaten away by inflation. So they began to be willing to have a, 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 a inflation wage trade-off, which led to the whole superannuation scheme in Australia. So they saw, you know, with bargaining power got evaporated by rising prices, we've got to focus on the prices, not just just the wage levels. That became their orientation. But we've had 40 years of, of the power of unions being crippled mm. by deliberate government policy. And now you don't have bargaining power. And if, if as a worker, you're not going to go up to your boss and say, I want a wage rise. But if but if the company's doing well, so I mean Keynes was you know the marginal product of labour. So yeah, if you, which is the one thing he, he accepted, which was garbage again, yeah. right? But I mean, okay. Well, the theory behind that, though, I mean, if, if whatever you call it, but the mm. approach that if uh, if if you get rid of me, 
you're going to be able to produce a little less of whatever mm. it is. Mm. So the cost that you're paying me, so long as you're paying me less than you're going to make from producing that extra output, mm. then you're going to keep me. And if and if I can say, well, okay, it's you're going to lose more by not paying me 10% more, uh, pay me 10% more, the company's going to say, well, okay, well, yeah, we'll has, do that. There has to be a corporate decision to do that because they're afraid of losing workers, mm. okay, uh, rather than a worker's decision to go and bargain for it because they know the unemployment is low and, and the rate of change is, you know, it, it's, it, unemployment's falling rather than rising. So that, that bargaining power is gone. So you have to get an extreme level of... Um, of economic activity before firms are going to say, "Oh, we're we're so it's hard, so hard to grab uh, you know, unemployed workers to get into the system. We've got to poach workers from somewhere else. So we've got to offer a higher wage and entice people away." So you've got to get to a really extreme level of economic activity now before you'll get the sort of wage rises we got back when you know lower. Uh, mm. Well, but that's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen. And so we yeah. are going to have this big divide between yeah, so wealthy you, people who are associated with those companies that are now making. I don't know. By the way, we seem to have forgotten talking about Keynes, but that's that's, that's, that's <laughs> just that was just an excuse to start off today. But I mean, we will get back to what you know. What do you think he would do? Yeah. But I mean, we are in that situation where yeah, that that divide between those people who are invested in those companies that are yeah. doing incredibly well, either mm. because they're shareholders or because they are owners of those businesses, mm. versus people who are facing increasing costs and their wages aren't going up in line with yeah. it. So how do you get out of that situation other than government intervention? That again go- would be what Keynes would be saying we need government intervention here because if you if you imagine the, the sort of a three-part-eyed power system, you have workers with trade unions, firms, capitalists with firms and the government, uh, we've pretty much wiped out the union side of things. Mm. So the only way you're going to equalise that now to bipolar world is by more government action to support the poor, who are generally speaking the workers. So I'd, I would see Keynes being in saying we, we have to do uh, payments to workers to let them pay the higher cost of energy they face. Um, so you'd be having more government spending, but targeted to the poor, not to the rich. And then, of course, when you do that, then you have that same issue we have with COVID. Of you don't want to overdo it. You don't want it to the scale we did during COVID, during the peak of the crisis. But you do want to do it more than we're doing now. So rather than running a government trying to balance the books, which is the obsession that. Mm. We're seeing globally again post-COVID. Say so, no, you run that deficit, but direct the deficit towards the poor and make sure they can afford to buy the essentials of life. Well, when we come back, I do want to talk about you know the the effect of the money supply and mm. uh, you know Keynes's theories around that. But just bef- before we take our quick break, mm. the. Uh, it seems like Keynes is one of those people who everyone follows. Everyone's a fan of Keynes. It seems like and nobody it, reads him. It, well, yeah, nobody reads him. But also, you know, right and left of politics, you know, whatever your whatever your attitude is, those people who are saying we need to balance the books, we're fiscal conservatives, mm. they'll still say, "Oh, we're following Keynesian." Philosophies. How how are they using that argument? Oh, they they call themselves new Keynesians. This is where the mm. um, uh, not so much Paul Krugman because he's an old Keynesian in that sense. Uh, but the was uh, uh, Eggerts and Gauti Eggerts and and uh, characters like him and Pontus Renthal and uh, mainstream economists all around. They call themselves new Keynesians because of the models they've built, which have price stickiness being an explanation for unemployment. So that's but in terms of you know. Back to Rod O'Donnell, for Christ's sake, don't read Keynes. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly don't use him in your name because you have no damn idea what he had to say.
Right. All right. Back in just a moment. It is the Debunking Economics podcast. Steve Keen live. Well, it's a recording, obviously, but you are live in the studio. You are sitting opposite me. We are in the same room at the same time, which doesn't happen that often. Mm. And we'll be back in just a second. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. We're looking at uh, Keynes on this edition of the uh, Debunking Economics Podcast. And uh, look, I mean, Keynes... Well, he argues, you know, uh, if, if, if we'd followed his advice, we wouldn't have had the war. Uh, we wouldn't have had the Great Depression. Maybe he wouldn't have been able to stop the pandemic, but maybe he would have taken us through it in a better way, although we seem to have got well, through it reasonably Let's go back well. and explain the war thing, though. Yeah, yeah let's start there. Okay. Well, he was, uh, I mean, Keynes's original break in public service, he came from a very, I don't know how wealthy his family was. I haven't actually looked at that side of his mm. history. I'm not, a, I'm not a personal biographer of Keynes. Um, but you know, wealthy background, ended up working in the India office initially when he was in the public service. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, absolutely outstanding intellect. Who He was one of the people to take on as advisor to the Treaty of Versailles, which was the, you know, ending the war uh, and the terms of reparations for Germany mm. ended up back in 1919. And what he... He wrote, so he reckoned we could have stopped the Second World War. Is that what he, he was saying? Because we, we went too tough it's, it's on actually, Germany. I reckon if people mm. want to get a, a, a – if you've read all the stuff about Keynes and never read Keynes, mm. then an interesting read into the human being is to read The Economic Consequences of the Peace. Right. Because that was the book which made him famous. Okay? And what he wrote was he literally was a whistleblower in a sense. He said, this is going to lead to a catastrophe. And he was explaining what were the personal motivations of each of the major personalities. Because he was sitting around the table at Versailles watching what was happening. I think Chamberlain was the um, British uh, Prime Minister. Minister. I've forgotten which was, uh, was it Woodrow Wilson? Yeah. I think it was Woodrow Wilson. I think so, yeah. Okay, and then uh, Clementau, I think, was the French Premier. And he said, uh, Woodrow Wilson came along pretty much naive. Chamberlain was easily swayed. Clementau came along with the determination to destroy Germany once and for all. Mm. Okay. So the whole objective was, was twisted by the, the French contingent to say, let's put such reparation terms on Germany that it can never rise again. Yeah. Okay. Now Keynes is looking because anyway, I wonder whether that was because he didn't want them to start another war, or because he thought, well, no, this is an opportunity for us to be the industrial powerhouse of Europe rather than Germany. I think imperialism is a better explanation. Mm. You know, reverse imperialism. Mm. So you know, rather than the German-dominated Europe, it's a French-dominated Europe. Mm. Um, but yeah, and Keynes said this won't work in a capitalist economy. If you you could take this because he was doing it with financial terms. So he pretty much predicted the Weimar inflation period and said. The, the result of this will be to so anger Germany that it guarantees a rise of right-wing sentiment. So in two sentences, what was the cause of that inflation? Hmm? In the two, Weimar, yeah, oh, that yeah. was largely because the reparations required that 
the Germans to pay, and they simply effectively printed the amount of money that was necessary right. to pay okay. it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, again, I'm not an expert on the Weimar period. Again, that's something else I wish I had wish I had time to go. But and it was research. excessive money printing in effect. It, it, it was the government basically you mm. know, providing the money people needed for. Uh, the domestic, but also the enormous reparation terms. Mm. You had the complete removal of the Ruhr. I think the Ruhr was one of the areas of Germany that got ceded to France. So a huge part of the industrial capability of the country disappears. You continue printing money to try to maintain the demand when you've lost the physical um, Production. resources. So yeah. boom, okay. Yeah. And, and then that, when they think that, but that inflation far predates the Nazis. What people get wrong is they say Weimar led to the Nazis. What led to the Nazis was austerity. Mm. Okay, so as many of us, so Keynes first of all identified that the attempt of the of the French to destroy the Germans through the Versailles Treaty would backfire, and that would be the, what would cause the Second World War. And he was right. He said we should have actually rebuilt Germany. In fact, he was arguing for a Marshall Plan in 1919. Right now, we've done the Marshall Plan in 1919. That would have been the end of the imperial attitude of the Germans because we've seen after the Second World War when we did do the Marshall Plan, rather than a revival of Nazism in Germany, and you know, there are still elements throughout Europe and various countries that we can put that tag on. Right. And but, but more more prominent in countries where there's an economic downturn. Yeah. I mean if you have boom instead. Yeah. Okay, then that pulls out the, the, the anger. So what Keynes was arguing for effectively was a reconstruction project that would enable Germany to revive and that reconstruction would also benefit uh, the rest of Europe and indeed America. So um, he argued for an inf- a reflationary program after the First World War, which of course was not, was done. Mm. So he was basically expecting the Second World War. And then it came along because uh, after the after the Weimar period, the German government was uh, financed a lot of its spending by issuing bonds that were sold to small Bond hold uh, small businesses in America, a major source of their uh, of their rev- of their revenue in that mm. period, and which meant they could buy overseas goods, of course, you know, um, selling them to selling German bonds to American. Well, then the Americans demanded repayment when there was Second World when the Depression hit, and the German government went along with that, and that caused a huge crash, huge austerity, and that was led to the rise of Hitler again because mm. he was. His first activities were back in the 19, 1910s, um, early, early 20s. I was sent to jail, I think, in 1920 or thereabouts. Uh, but the re- revival of Hitler and the rise of the Nazis was due to austerity in Germany in the aftermath of the Great Depression. So, so, so Keynes' thing was, don't let this sort of stuff happen, fundamentally. Mm. So he would look at it now and say, well, what's the major cause of social unrest social breakdown, it's the fact that these huge price rises that are coming through, particularly when they're coming through for energy, uh, but also for, for other basic commodities, the poor can't afford it. If you don't satisfy their demands, you're going to have right. dog, you know, a rise of not necessarily Nazism, but you know, populist uh, anti-establishment will so, come. Yeah, so Nigel Farage will be the next uh, British Prime Minister on, on that basis. Yeah. That did, yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it sounds like a crazy thing to say, but do you know what? Yeah. It could happen, couldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, could happen. it if, could happen. If, if people feel as though they are struggling so much. So Keynes did sort of predict uh, this sort of situation happening. Uh, so uh, he said, as output increases, he's talking about when supply and demand are not uniform, you know, yeah. not in not in balance, which yeah. is what the situation we're facing now. Yeah. Um, 
as output increases, a series of bottlenecks will be successfully, successively reached where the supply of particular commodities ceases to be elastic and their prices have to rise to whatever level is necessary to divert demand into other directions. So you've got limited resources of something that yeah. is used for yeah. a multitude of products. There's yeah. one product that's really in demand, and energy would be an example of that, wouldn't yeah, it? Which absolutely. has to be yeah. diverted into making the goods which are going to attract the highest prices. So it mm. really messes up the supply chain. So that obviously puts pressure on prices. It doesn't put a pressure on employment. So we'll see prices rise without mm. hitting jobs necessarily. And that's exactly is, what we're going through right now. Yeah. Well found. Yeah. 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 So it, he does then seem to say, though, it's going to sort itself out. You know, that the that we'll, we'll get to the, you know, the, the uh, prices will um, start to moderate uh, eventually to a greater extent uh, at first than, uh, well, what's he saying here? So it's, it basically he's saying it's going to sort itself out. But that means central banks are wrong to intervene in this yeah, process, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we should just let it sort itself in out. A, in we a should... sense, p- p- forget this 2% target. That's, again, something which has come out of the myths of neoclassical economics, not out of the, you know, it's not an ideal level at all. You, you certainly, a, a certain amount of inflation actually in, in, encourages spending. Yeah. Uh, it's when you get to the absolute, you know, crazy levels of Weimar, then you're in serious trouble. But if you take a look at the uh, turnover of money, the velocity of money, as it's called, uh, in again, the, the St. Louis Fred database has a great database on this, and you'll find that the what they call the rate of circulation of what they call money of zero maturity. So it's a broad definition of money, uh, anything which you can actually just instantly convert into buying goods and services with. Uh, that's that's where the MZM measure comes from, and the velocity of MZM money before up to about 1966 or thereabouts was about 1.8. So the money supply, let's say the money supply was a billion, so it's a trillion dollars. It turned over, it produced $1.8 trillion worth of GDP. Mm. Then you had the inflationary rise from the uh, mid-60s, about 66, through to 73, 74. It actually rose to three. Okay, So the high rate of inflation encouraged a high rate of turnover as well. Yeah, uh, But it goes too far, you have a breakdown. So we're in a, a similar situation that you have... Uh, you know, a high turnover of the, uh, of the the turnover of the money supply coming out of a high rate of inflation. A bit of that's not a bad thing. Now, the two percent target stuff was just because. Why are we seeing a higher turnover of money right now? I would have um, thought. I, well, I would have thought now we'd be seeing money money turnover decreasing. People because they, this, they, they, the turnover is going into the paying of those prices of goods that have risen too much. People right. they don't want to spend it. Okay. Right. Um, so you know, you, in this case, what again? We, we what we have a, a trap that we didn't have back in the sixties to the same degree. Level of private debt. People mm. got a huge burden of private debt. Rising interest rates mean the servicing cost that is going through the roof. So therefore, they're going to be spending less. And you can see a deflationary trend coming out of this, and that's that's the the, the curly thing that um, Keynes had understanding of to some extent, but no one knew much as Irving Fisher. So, in in terms, of if you wanted to get your inspiration, to understand the Great Depression, I go with Irving Fisher any day over over Keynes on that particular point. But what you would be looking at now is the price levels 
the price effect that Keynes spoke about from that quote you found, which was a great quote, um, meaning people spending on that particular item goes through the roof, the spending on everything else has to decline. Yeah. Okay. So what you want to, you you don't want that price to reach that level. That price is not doing, it's not an efficient price. It's not, you know, giving of equilibrium and all this sort of nonsense. It's a bargaining power of the energy, particularly when this happened, the energy companies, mm. uh, because there's such demand for the product, shortage of supply because it's coming out of the ground. It's not being reproduced in a factory. Yeah. Uh, which to- won't just be energy, though. It'll be right. anything for which there's inelastic demand. So huh? it will be food as well yeah, and, uh, yeah. you know, other yeah. essentials, basically. They're yeah. the, they, you know, they'll all be yeah. doing quite so well. So you right. don't – you don't. Uh, the, the price rise isn't going to sort itself out. But look, at, for example, at the moment, the increasing price of energy is going to be able to get more oil wells. That's the last thing we bloody well need right mm. now. Mm. So you don't want to lose the, the – you want to cut that off. And well, you could that. argue, though, that it would make uh, renewables more cost-effective. So if oil is rising or you know fossil fuels generally, it's going to be more cost-effective for you to invest but in – The thing is the money is actually going to the oil companies rather than to the – Yeah, yeah. Like because of the – again, Cause, because cause of they're the creating the profits. 85% yeah. of our energy supply comes from fossil fuels. Yeah. So most – and almost all that price rise we're talking about is going to oil companies. Yeah. But, uh, so – the, so the smart thing would be yes, windfall tax. By the way, yeah. you can if you if you invest in renewables, you can you can claim some of that money back because guess what? That's where the money's going to go. That would be yeah. a smart government thing to do. Yeah, it? that's so yeah. you'd want to be promoting your uh, renewable energy, mm. promoting nuclear, and I put that. I know that annoys some people, but uh, anything mm. that gets us away from fossil fuels. So let's talk about money supply then, because what's happening to it now? Because you'd 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 argue that if we are in a in a period where you know the economy is struggling people are not going to be borrowing mm. uh, and they're going to try and so deleverage so going to be negative and therefore there'll be a, a private supply. sector going to be destroying money rather than creating it yeah so if the government comes in with austerity on top of that we've got two factors destroying the money, money supply. supply not just one right um the, you can't save at the aggregate level this is another point that i'm i, I, I I find incredibly frustrating because people uh, transpose their own behaviour, saying, "If I spend less, I can save more." Mm. Okay, they go, let's all save money. Okay, we all try to save money. What happens? We spend less. Yeah. Income falls. Yeah. So we we face potentially a deflationary consequence out of this, and the governments adding austerity onto the impact of high interest rates will amplify that downward trend. So I know you're not a big fan of Krugman, <laughs> uh, but I did like one uh, uh, one example he gives in uh, in in the book where he's talking about uh, you know solving the 2008 financial crisis, mm. and he's talking about I think it was in Washington. I think it might it may even been government workers who were all uh, engaged in this um, babysitting group. Oh, that bloody Jane and Janet stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's quite an interesting. Uh, way of explaining it though that if you've got a whole load of people who are who, who have vouchers and you just exchange a voucher with somebody else mm. when you babysit for them mm. so you've got a set number of vouchers that mm. are that are in circulation mm. but then somebody all it takes is somebody to say oh well we're going to go on holiday next week or next month so we better we better save up some vouchers mm. so we will do more babysitting uh, then, uh, so we get more of these vouchers, so we can so we can stock them up, mm. which is in effect like saving, isn't it? In a mm. way, so all of a sudden there's less movement in the circulation of those of those vouchers, mm. and so everyone else goes, oh, there's not enough vouchers going around. We better just not go out tonight. Mm. Mm. Whereas all it takes is the that group to say, no, we'll get over that problem. 
will just produce more vouchers. Mm, mm. And the voucher is not worth any less. All you've done is added liquidity to the situation. The voucher is not worth any less because mm. the voucher is still just there for one night's babysitting. It's like yeah. a little monetary system. It's the rate of circulation. And then, yeah. like in that sense, okay, that's a reasonable analogy. Yeah. But the same thing applies. Yeah, top marks to Krugman on that one. Huh? Top marks to Krugman oh, on that one. Okay. Childish <laughs> examples, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, that's, again, focusing upon the velocity of money without yep. seeing what actually is the major cause that changes in the velocity of money, and that's yep. both the rate of inflation and the level of private debt. Yeah. And if there's the, the real problem we have now is that people, because we're carrying literally historically unprecedented levels of private debt, people are therefore spending more slowly so that more of that money accumulates in their bank account, which they can then use to service their debts. Yeah. So what you get is a plunge in the velocity of circulation of money coming out of excessive levels of private debt. And then if you try to reduce the private debt, you actually reduce the money supply. So you get caught in a vicious circle. Um, so you, your real thing, again, would come back to the government has to run a deficit in times like this, not of the scale of during the COVID crisis, but certainly... Uh, far more than uh, what is his name, Rooney Sunak, is now talking about doing. <laughs> Rishi Sunak, but uh, it was Rishi Sunak, but it was Joe Biden couldn't get his name right, could he? It was like that that new president, uh, Prime Minister Rishud Sunak, or it was uh, yeah, just you know. I know we get through a lot of prime ministers, but we just do, just, yeah, we, just as a mark of respect, yeah. just Leonard, you know, there's not too, you know, there's only a couple of years, Sunak. you know, it's not too Sunak much. Sunak is pretty easy. That's not yeah. a hard one to remember. Yeah. Okay. Uh, trust was even easier, but that's let's mm. let's see if he longs last last longer there. But yeah, the obsession with with getting the government's books in orders is actually going to compound mm. what's happening in the private sector because with high interest rates, yeah. banks don't want to lend because they can see asset prices falling. People don't want to borrow for the same reason. Uh, also worried about the cost of living. We're spending less in general. Uh, the Putting up interest rates to cause that followed by government spending, will actually make the downturn worse. So right. Keynes would be doing the opposite, right. and that's but, running a deficit. But in, right, okay, but in doing the opposite, then you're putting more money into circulation, there's more money for people to spend, but we've still got that supply shortage. So isn't yeah, that yeah, going to... Yeah, the supply shortage, I mean... That's going to push inflation higher. Well, if, we, if, we, if we were at a previous stage in capitalist history, then yes, you could rely upon... Uh, rebalancing, you'd be adding more oil wells and not complaining about it. Mm. And finally, you'd get the capacity you need. And the oil would be there. It wouldn't be so expensive to get out of the ground and your cost would fall. Uh, but it's not, not just oil, point. is it? Huh? It's, not, it's not just oil, though, is it? So well, now, let me give you another everything. another quote from Keynes. Yeah. So when a further increase in the quantity of effective demand, so if, we, if we're increasing the money supply, so there's greater demand, when, you, when, when a further increase in the quantity of effective demand produces no further increase in output, which you wouldn't have if you've got a supply shortage, and entirely spreads itself on an increase in the cost unit fully proportional to the increase in effective demand, we've reached a condition which might be appropriately designated as one of true inflation. I mean, that's where we are now, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you increase the money supply, you're just going to make that situation worse. But if you, uh, with you, but you, 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 the other factor that Keynes isn't considering there is where the price rises that have occurred are meaning that people at the bottom of the income spectrum simply can't afford to stay alive. Mm. Okay, they're going to be evicted, they're going to lose, lose their homes or their rent, rent you know, kicked out by the landlord or kicked out by the bank. Mm. Um, in that situation, you get a breakdown. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we get, should we should focus on that bottom rung of Maslow's hierarchy of need, shouldn't we? And if we're not absolutely, if we're not, if we're not if providing we're, that, there's something wrong with your society. Yeah. Now, with, with, there is something seriously wrong with our society, mm. but this is a prelude to that. We don't have to go through that right now. Mm. And if and if you do let it happen, then you're going to get a you know, social breakdown. And uh, the, the French, particularly the Italian riots, actually, with their burning. 
Uh, they're getting enormous energy bills so they don't have the same buffer that's been provided to some other countries in Europe and also to the UK. Um, yeah, it, you know, you, you're going to have a constipated version of capitalism if you let that work its way through the system. So if Keynes was the uh, UK Chancellor oh, right now or the oh. UK, well, let's even make him Prime Minister because it's quite easy to become Prime Minister these it days. Is, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We, have, we haven't had one Hopefully for a few months. Hopefully longer tenure than most of the rest. <laughs> so, what would, so give me a few things he'd do. First, so first of all, uh, I'm guessing he would start taxing companies that were making He put a, a windfall profit. tax on on the resource companies yeah and, and get as much of that you know re- reduce the the huge increase of revenue they're getting uh, so that you can hopefully uh, you know you you then have other government spending and also private sector spending on uh, renewables and other forms of energy that don't involve carbon dioxide generation so you'd be doing that definitely you'd also be putting a, a price cap on what people have to pay, you may be compensating the companies, but you then tax them for the compensation. Right. So the, you'd be looking at what is your profit rate, and the profit rate of, with those huge prices for oil was gigantic. Right. So, you'd, so that's how you'd fix the energy issue. But what as about, much as you can. As yeah. much as you can. So what about the the fact that aside from energy costs, there's mm. you know there's, the prices are still escalating because we've got the supply shortage. How does how would that, he solve this situation? That one where, you can't. Right. That one you can't. I mean, mm. uh, if, if we've had a very artificial period for the last forty years where the cost of production has been declining because of outsourcing production to the third world countries. Mm. Okay, and we've also you know, incredible levels of efficiency in energy uh, extraction. Uh, manufacturing itself, the whole just-in-time philosophy, which began after the Second World War. All this stuff means the cost of manufacturing has been falling, uh, both for for better management of manufacturing and for outsourcing of manufacturing. Uh, Now we're seeing the outsourcing collapsing. COVID is a huge reason to bring your production back onshore rather than have it overseas. Um, So you just have have to wear that we're going to reverse some of that drop in costs we've had for the last 40 years. Right. And you simply, just like we live with the with drop in costs, we've got to live with the rise in costs. Right. But the but the cost of a uh, of a yacht probably isn't that much more expensive. It's the cost of your breakfast cereal yeah. uh, proportionally. So it's the, the, the poor who are going to be paying that higher price. And therefore you have to make sure they can still afford to, which means your government spending has to be erected at the poor. And the, mm. the, the, the rich are never going to be worrying about a cut back to national health services. Okay? Yeah. They can afford the private doctor. Um, so all this, all, all this stuff of austerity hits the bottom 40% of the income distribution, maybe even more, mm. and runs down this, the system itself. And it means you're actually degrading its capacity. You're not, you're not saving money. You're degrading the physical capacity of your country. Yeah. So you, you can't allow that to happen. And Keynes would be horrified by what's happening with the national health um, payments to put wages of doctors in the national health. Uh, well, wouldn't it be, uh, be horrified around the world? I mean, is it happening anywhere it in is, the world that, that, that we're taking the right approach? It no, seems that, no it's a, it's a, and this again was one reason why neoclassical economics is so dangerous. It's you know, neat, plausible, and wrong. And in, <laughs> in this particular situation, it's encouraging saying, well, governments have to save money to pay back debt that they don't have to pay back, that they mm. have almost always run deficits. See, average deficit in America is about 2% of GDP, yeah. 2 or 3%. It's been happening for 120 years. That, to me, is long enough to call it the long term. There is no need to pay this debt back. So the whole fantasy you have to pay it back is leading to this obsession about not doing government spending, which is helping break capitalism. Well, the reason why people think like that, and we'll look at this mm. next week, is because mm. if I lend you some money, I expect you to pay me back. And that mm. is, you know, that's like peer-to-peer lending. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, and there's the assumption in economics, isn't it, that all uh, lending is like that to such a point that uh, if, if if I've got your money or you've got my money, mm. we're, we're still spending it. It doesn't uh, really matter. It doesn't really matter, and, mm. the, and therefore we can ignore debt. Which is what uh, they do. Uh, so we'll look at that more, the debt myth. We'll look at that uh, next week on the Debunking Economics podcast. Uh, good to talk to you again, Steve. The Debunking Economics podcast. 